0: And then double meetings are going to start on the 19th, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And this is really a space for us to grow. And you're going to see maybe one meeting will be slightly smaller, or we trust in God that both are going to be immediately full. And uh, we're going to have to maybe go to a third meeting, but we're not there yet. And uh, we just really, uh, the words about faith coming through, we call things out in faith. We say, God, we're putting out these jars so you would fill them, the Martin Smith concert, the double meanings. because God loves people. He loves people in the city. He loves every expat, every local, every, uh, every person that comes into this place to find money. He loves them. And that's when God loves a city, He brings in a church. And He, brings, he sets up a church because He knows that through the church, the love of God should be dispensed into the world. And the love of God is the only thing that can change the world. John 3.16. I had the privilege of, um, of uh, preaching this past week at a, a what, what is it called, Alistair? Is he here today? Is Yeah, Thank you. Glory Kids Choir. And Alistair asked me to come and preach there. A lot of people didn't know Jesus. So I was like, this is an opportunity to preach the gospel. And I went out full on. And as I was reading through uh, John 3.16 again, for God so loved the world, for God so loves buy that he gave his son, so many would come to him. God did not con- come to condemn the world, but to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And we preach Jesus unashamedly here. This is what we're about. This is what we do. This is why a local church is set up, not because of nice coffee and great music, as powerful as that is. We we worship because we worship the king of all kings. Let's just settle that in our hearts and minds this morning, that he is the king of all kings, the president of all presidents. He is 100% in charge. And sometimes when we're going through stuff, we get clouded by the view that we think that God is not big enough, great enough to deal with the thing that we're walking through. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus is great. He is the greatest. Let's just give a a little praise to Him. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it changes us. Would You come and change us this morning? I pray, Lord God, that as I speak Your Word, would it carry Your authority and weight I don't want to say anything that is not of you, and I want to just, I want your words, my words to be molded to what you are saying over this city and this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, Isaiah, as I said a couple of weeks ago, 61, we will get there. Who is from Europe? Do you want to raise your hand? England? Because that's, that's separate now. Not yet. It's almost separate. Um. I love Europe. I, I would go there every holiday if I could. Starle is not a huge fan. She's like, the food all tastes the same. I'm like, no, we haven't explored France. But uh, just but the, the, the thing that strikes me about the UK and Europe is that every town, city, or little hamlet or shire that you go into, um, there's actually, I didn't realize that there actually is a thing called a shire. That I thought the, the hobbits made that up, but Johnny is from Shropshire, And uh, it's a shire, which means a little town with rich people in it. And um, I forgot, I just totally lost my train of thought. In every town, there there is a church. And the church, in some ways, has just become a monument. It stands there. In grandeur, and it's like the most incredible architecture. And it's, I think it, if you speak to Simon, who's an architect, or Sneha, they can tell you that architecture reflects something of the time and speaks about something of the time. And there was a moment, there was obviously a moment in European history when there was a powerful revival that swept across that nation. Now, the problem often that I've seen at any church on any level is that when we start to erect monuments, it speaks about something that's happened and not something that's happening. We thank God that He is again causing a revival. I'm hearing amazing stories that are happening throughout Europe where these old buildings that had been uninhabited for years are now being inhabited by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is he is utterly and completely changing the society of Europe. And we just need it and for me, I think I never want to as us as a local church to become a monument. I don't want to come back in 20, 30 years' time and look at this. Remember that warehouse. There was a group of people that loved Jesus and were passionate for him. I want us to be in 20, 30 years' time. Some of you will be leading your own churches, causing revivals and causing hearts to awaken in your own cities and own nations. Because God is on the move. I love that from uh, the not, uh, C.S. Lewis book, Aslan, what, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, Wardrobe. And it says, Aslan, Jesus, is on the move. And my fear sometimes is that as a church, as we start to grow, let us never become stagnant. That's why we are placing ourselves in a, in a semi-uncomfortable position of having double meetings, because we want us to know that this is not about us pulling a crowd of people, but it's about us, you and me, reaching those around you for Jesus, because he, because he loves them. And I, we are not called to be just this resurrected, uh, this, this monument that just stands for people to watch and marvel at. We are a continual moving forward. The follower of Jesus' movement was so powerful that in two, 300 years, it literally turned uh, the, the Roman Empire on its head. From where people were meeting in their homes to the place where it became the state religion. Where all religions were, were allowed because Christians just kept going and they kept multiplying. And we had a prophetic word come to us from a friend of ours, and he just said, God is taking your church from addition to multiplication. And I think the moment we put stuff in God's hands, he multiplies it. Feeding of the 5,000, God only needed two fish, five loaves, and he multiplied it. It It touched his hands, he broke it, and it multiplied. And it doesn't happen like Jesus gets it and he goes, he just goes kaboom, and then it just like multiplies. It's as he broke the bread, more came. And that's how God works. Faith, like what Roman Stala was saying at, at the prayer meeting, is not about like you all of a sudden get everything and then you're like, oh, I've got what my faith can see. It's as you step, God provides. As you step, God provides. As you step, God multiplies. To the point there were 12 baskets left when Jesus had multiplied the bread and the fish. That is the God we serve. And that is the God of where we're going to in the next season. And I, I can tell you that it's because God wants to use every single person in this church. Can put your hand on your chest? Say, God wants, God wants to use me. I'll repeat like David did last week. God wants to use me. I'm not going to shout. Cool. I hope you believe it. <laughs> A can shout. Matthew 16, 18 says this. Jesus talking. And it says, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. How do I know that Jesus' words are true? We are a fulfillment of that prophecy. You and me are fulfillment of the prophecy that. That Jesus said 2,000 years ago, the church is going to be such a dynamic movement that it's going to keep moving forward, keep moving forward, that 2,000 years later, the church is going to cover the earth because we're part of, we're building the kingdom of God. We are, we are, God has called us to be in every single city, every town because we bring the light of Jesus to their place. The church is the hope of the world. And I think when the church is healthy, working, and envisioned, it is the most unstoppable force on this planet. The problem often is this, and I find myself as a pastor, have to re-look at it and re-look at it, is that Jesus said he'll build my church. He only called us to preach the gospel. He says, we preach the gospel, Jesus will build the church. And so often, pastors and leaders try to build the church, and then Jesus is going, cool, you can do it your way, but if you follow my spirit, I'm going to cause you to be the most dynamic movement on this planet. And every, there's a guy, Yonggi Cho, he has the biggest church in the world still. And uh, South Korea, over a million people in his congregation. That's, that's, that I would say that he's impacted a nation. And uh, he he just, there was a moment in in leading his church, and God said, if you, God said to him, He says, if you'll let the Holy Spirit take over this church, I'll do things beyond your imagination. And I want to say publicly here, that I want the Holy Spirit to to lead this church. There is elders in place, so we don't go off course. And we we study God's word, and we we want to to be able to almost be the riverbanks, but we don't want to have such tight riverbanks that we restrict the flow of God. A river and the Spirit goes wherever it wants. I want to read you something. It says this, The wind blows where it wishes, you hear it sound, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit is in charge. And that's why we have moments in the church where Tara has a word, Stala has a word, Ram has a word, and we give space for God to speak to us because it's, I do not want us to be worship announcements word and that's a cool format and God works within that but if God is speaking last week was a good example God is speaking freedom Dave changed his message at the last minute and preached on freedom and we need to be a church that is that is listening to the holy spirit that is that is following what he's doing credible verse in Ephesians 3:10 I think I might be up there God's purpose say God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. What an incredible verse that God of the universe uses you and me to display something to the unseen realm. How many of you know that there's an unseen realm that doesn't, doesn't like Christians at all. And, uh, and you can see parts of the world where the enemy has just had full reign over people's hearts and lives, and there's just, there's just like evil spewing out of it. But, but I believe when, the, when, when a church is in the city and it takes its stand, the enemy cannot come near it, the Bible says. That the, that the gates of hell will not prevail over his church. And now the word church, I've taught this before, but we cannot think of it as a building Church means ecclesia, Ecclesia. it means the called out ones in Greek, it could mean a group that were gathered as a military that were called together to do a specific task, or as a group of people that would meet together for a specific task. And the power of the local church comes when we have our eyes focused on Jesus and we are, we are spirit led in all that we do. Then we'll start to see lives radically, radically changed. Can we read Isaiah 61? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They shall be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated, and they will renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations." I spoke a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, and I said that when God speaks, especially in the book of Isaiah, a lot of it is in poetic language, but a lot of it comes across where Isaiah is speaking into his situation, into the exiles, and then it, but it has, it has eternal effect on, on what Jesus says. Jesus gets up in Luke 4 and, and quotes the scripture, which I'm going to talk about, but it also has meaning to us as his people. His followers of Jesus, this, so we can take the scripture and we can appropriate it to ourselves. And I think it, it has meaning for us at this church in this time, so we walk out in all that he has for us. Just to give you a bit of background, so on the top of my Bible, it says, the, the year of the Lord's favor. I don't know if it says in yours. Am I right, Andy? On the top of Isaiah 61, the year of the Lord's favor. Now, for those of you who don't know, basically what that means is in the Bible, there's lots of cycles of seven. There's seven days, there's seven years, there's seven this, and it all means completion. So you have seven years, and then you have a, a year of rest on the land, and then seven times seven years, you would have your jubilee year. And let me read what happens in that year. During that year, all debts were canceled, all land was returned to its original owners, The slaves were freed and everybody was given a fresh beginning. This was the Lord's way of balancing the economy and keeping the rich from exploiting the poor. That's from Warren Wesseby. And it's an amazing thing what happens in that year of Jubilee. Can you imagine being that person? You're indebted to someone and you're like, it's the 49th year. And then your debt gets canceled. Or you're a slave and you've been in slavery. Your family's been in slavery for a whole generation. You are now set free. Can you imagine the joy that must have been gone across the land? and I think it 's an incredible thing. I think if countries ran like that, we would, ha- we would have this world would be so prosperous and run so well because it 's god 's plan and his purpose, because it's, it levels the playing field, then every fifty years it goes again it 's an amazing, amazing thing. and I've, what we have to realize is that if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are in the year of jubilee, and Jesus reads up to a point. Can we put it up on, uh, it says, when he's in Luke 4, he's sitting in Nazareth, he gets up, he opens the scroll, he rolls it out, and he reads this point, he says, to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim freedom, to release from darkness, and then it goes this, and he goes, to proclaim, stay back, I was getting there, (laughs) to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Jesus crawls, crawls up the scroll, what does he do to the scroll? Rolls up the scroll, And sits down and he says, now this is fulfilled in your hearing. And I want to say this, that from the moment Jesus did that, he inaugurated his kingdom. And he doesn't speak about the vengeance of our God. There's a time of judgment coming where God is going to judge the living and the dead. And if we are in Christ, we are saved. If we are out of Christ, we are not. And I think that's just the, the cold, hard reality of it. And if you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, that is a moment you just say, God, I surrender to you. I believe that you died and rose again, and uh, you, you paid for my sins. There's, the, there's going to be this, this moment, and, so, and Jesus goes, and, he, and he, he brings the world to a point where he says, we are now living in the, the year of the Lord's favor. We are living in the year of jubilee which means a few things. We're freed from bondage. We're freed from our spiritual debt. Imagine some of us are sitting in and in this room and we're sitting in debt in Dubai. Imagine someone come and said, cool, I've covered your debt. I've had it happen to friends of mine. A friend of mine texted me this morning. um, A few years ago, he had a lot of debt and uh, God came and I think his boss gave him money and just canceled his debt. I mean, that's amazing. It hasn't happened to me. It would be great if it happens. Some of you are going like, yes, Jesus, I'll take that. Um, but I think more importantly, if we place ourselves in Christ, our spiritual debt has been covered. He has taken away our sin. He, like, and it's a judicial thing. It's we stand before God accused, wrong, in sin. We give our lives to Jesus. There's a judicial decision that happens and goes, cool, you're now saved. You're now set free, and you're now living in complete freedom from all of that. So there's a crown instead of ashes. And in those days, when people used to mourn, they used to pick up ash, and they used to stick it on their head and rub it in their head, and it was a sign that they were mourning. And these people were mourning that they were out of Israel, and then God is saying, to them, there's a time coming when you're going to come back into the promised land, and I'm going to put kingship on you. And after, you have to realize that when we give our lives to Jesus, He makes us kings, and He makes us queens. He utterly changes our hearts. There's a few things. I've got three points. Number one, we need power. Power. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because he has anointed me. If we want to be a powerful local church that sees the city change and life change, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's why we give space in our meetings and worship at the end of meetings to say, Holy Spirit, come and do what you will. Come and be what you will. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me. That's why prayer is so vital. If you looked at a king and a priest, they were anointed at a moment for a certain task. And I want to say, if you've given your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. But there is a moment where I believe we can cry for more of the Spirit to come and rest on us. It's because God's Spirit wants to rest on us as people because he's, He's called us and He's set us apart for a certain task. Every single person here has a task on their life. Whatever we do, we need to be, it needs to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4.6 says this, It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. We need the presence of God to go ahead of us. Galatians 5.16, which might come up. So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. And God's been taking me through a season in in my life where I feel like He's been consecrating me. Stuff, and not that I was, don't get me wrong, I wasn't involved in sin, but there was stuff where I would like make a little joke with someone or whatever, and it would be fine. But, but God in the last season has pulled me so closely to himself. Like, I, and the only way to describe it is that he's, he's, he's setting me apart. And I feel like as we begin to focus more on him and say, Jesus, I, I surrender my heart to you, God wants us to walk in step with the Spirit. And, and once we understand that thing, God will do incredible stuff in and through us. He wants us to walk with him. And, and what I've realized is that when we walk with Him, we do not want to gratify the ways of the flesh. And if everyone is sitting here, I can guarantee you there's a war inside of you, the flesh and your spirit. And we're going to teach over the next couple of weeks, but understanding that we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. That when we sin or desire to sin, we're actually acting below what God has made us to be. He's made us to be sons and daughters. We, We are royalty in heaven, yet we still act like paupers. And God is wanting to shift that and change that in our hearts. The second thing, so we have the presence of God. The the early church was birthed in power. We need the power of God. We need His anointing on our lives. The second thing is we have a task. So we have power and we have a task. And it says, yeah, to proclaim good news. Can we say good good news? He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and vengeance for our God. We live in a world with, with that runs off bad news, am I right? I just flick to the left of my phone, there's Al Jazeera, CNN, and it's just this hardly good news. And, uh, and, and I think in a world that is filled with bad news, we need to be the bearers of good news, that there is a hope in the world, that there is a God who loves you, that there is a God who came and dwelt amongst you and felt pain and lived with you And he wants you to have a relationship with him. And and that I'm saying to every single person here, God wants to have a relationship with every single one of you. We just did that in Alpha this past week, and it was powerful. And I want you to realize that Jesus is is knocking on the door of your heart. And one of the pictures that Nikki Gumbel uses, uh, there was a picture in St. Paul's Cathedral, is that the the door of your heart, the handle's on the inside. Jesus isn't going to come and open the door from the outside and pull the door open. He's saying, I'm knocking at the door, but the handle's on the inside. Open the door. Let me in. Let me walk with you. We have a task of proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And as we go into double meetings, we have to know that it's, be- it's because you inviting your friends that this church is going to have a greater impact. The greatest way, a church doesn't go through good social media. It doesn't grow through uh, kind of even, maybe even big events. A church grows through when we have a relationship with people who don't know Jesus, and we say, come and taste the bread. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And we can leave the rest up to, to Jesus, because He is very capable. The Holy Spirit is capable of sanctifying someone who doesn't know Him and makes Him like Jesus. We have to trust that that happens. Colossians 2.13 says this, you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ, for He forgave all your sins. That's powerful. Let's—we had someone at our table talk this morning, this uh, this past week, and I know she wouldn't mind me saying, it, but she had a revelation that week that God has forgiven her, that God has has utterly wiped her slate clean. Out can I say this morning, if you're feeling a sense of guilt and a sense of this, it's, there's something that's not right, come to Jesus and realize that he has forgiven you your past, your present, and your future sins. We have to live a life of repentance. We have to live a life of repentance under him, but we have to know that he has canceled sin in our life. Uh, where were we? It says he canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away, nailing it on the cross, In this way, he disarmed the spiritual authority, rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by by having victory, by sorry, by his victory over them on the cross. There was a shaming publicly of spiritual forces and authorities because Jesus died on the cross for us. He canceled out the debt of our sin. Incredible, incredible. And we get to tell that to other people. It says in... um, 2 Corinthians, that we are we are ministers of reconciliation. We have been given a ministry, you and I have been given a ministry to reconcile people back to Jesus. So, a thing we've always held to in this church is that you belong, you believe, and you behave. And it's, behave takes a while, okay? We know that. We're, in all of our lives, we're all sinful beings, and uh, and we've it just takes a while for us to understand that we've actually been forgiven and our sinful nature is cut away, and it's just we, we continue to, to sometimes live in the old. But can I say this? I never want to water down the gospel in this church. That by nature we are objects of wrath, the Bible says. That we deserve death that our sin separated us from God. There's the wrath of God, it says in Roman one, Romans 1, that has been revealed towards mankind, that, that there was no, no other hope, but Jesus came and he stood in our place. And it says, there's a word used in the ESV, it's called propitiation, where God's wrath poured out on Jesus and the other side of Jesus became favor and that and the grace of Jesus Christ, this undeserved faith. And I want to say that come as you are to this church, be loved, but do not stay as you are. I'm, I'm quoting someone else there. I know that it's not my own. You can don't quote me on Twitter, okay? Um, it was I think it was Carl Lentz who said that. Come as you are, do not stay as you are. God is ever increasing us and changing us into into a newness. Styla has a friend. Uh, and he's had an encounter with God at certain points in his life. She went to school. She was in a girls' school in Pretoria, and he was in the boys' school. Really good friends, grew up together. And, uh, and I follow him on Facebook, and he's hilarious. But he, he, wrote, he wrote something. He went to a thing called Africa Burn. Who's heard of that? It's kind of like a, a big rave in the middle of the desert. Rave. Just shows where I'm from. I'm from the 90s. It's, uh, I don't even know if that's what they're called anymore. Yeah. A big party, okay? And they're all dressed strange, and they get really high on drugs, and they, just, they kind of just have this big kind of euph- euphoric uh, experience, and there's bands playing, and it's kind of a blur over three days. And he writes this on Facebook. He says, did I overhear people complimenting one another? He says, and even behind their backs. I mean, what is, what even, what is that even? I saw people helping others for no reward, no financial gain, just because I even saw some really thirsty people giving their last drops, which I presume is alcohol, it's not water, okay, of <laughs> uh, their most precious resource to some far away dehydrated person. And when I when I read that, he was he was so blown away by these people who in this moment, through being really high on drugs, all happy, hippie, they, they, they experience something of the greatest human need in nature is that it's be to be loved and accepted. And I believe that the church needs to be that. That we as a community will, will, will have open arms to pull people in, but we have to realize that we do not negotiate on Scripture. We do not negotiate on the truth, but what God sees around sexuality, what God sees around sin, we cannot I would not be a pastor, and I would, God, I think, would strike me dead if I tried to teach you otherwise. That there's the reality of, the, of the, the consequences of our sin that is going to lead to death, the Bible says. But thank goodness for Jesus Christ, who can save us, redeem us, sanctify us, make us like him. This is the gospel. So we need to proclaim that to people, the gospel in its entirety. We cannot preach a half gospel. And then finally, our future, and then we're done. And this is where it's going to include all of us. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. For they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And when the year of Jubilee came in Israel's society, they used to go across the land and they used to fix up old cities And he used to restore them and renew them and bring them back to that place of wholeness. And can I say that as a people of God, we sometimes live with this earth and heaven mentality where Jesus comes in the Lord's Prayer and says, God, let let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came and there was almost, before Jesus, there was this kind of separation. He came and he brought heaven to earth. And as we follow Jesus and as a community, as we sacrificial, and we sacrificial and we love him and we, and we give up stuff for him and we go on ministry trips that see our lives change, it is for him. We begin to see the kingdom of God extend across the earth where heaven is invading earth. And I think we need to get out of this uh, understanding that it's, this uh, that, that understanding of earth and heaven is, is, is Greek philosophy. It's not in the Bible. Jesus spoke about heaven invading earth and that's why sometimes you can feel the presence of Jesus and that's why sometimes you can feel a presence of evil like maybe there's opposition. It's because the earth and heaven are so intertwined. Heaven's not this far away place. When we, when we are believers, we bring heaven to earth and we walk heaven to earth. And that is our task. We are called to renew cities. And we cannot renew cities without Jesus. We cannot renew cities without the Holy Spirit. We cannot renew cities without preaching. One of the first things it says, you're anointed to preach. So we proclaim his word. Because when we proclaim his word, things start to change. We, we carry the greatest news just to make it really practical for our lives, because I really, my heart is that you don't come here every Friday and you just enjoy a good service and leave. My heart is that you get so transformed by Jesus that you want to throw yourself into his body, the local church. You want to throw yourself to see a city change. You want to throw yourself into seeing a nation change. That it goes beyond, because Jesus honestly is looking for disciples. He's not looking for a crowd. Jesus constantly throughout his ministry would say stuff that would turn, intentionally turn people away from himself. Because he wasn't looking for a crowd. Jesus had five to 15,000 at the drop of a hat. But he'll say stuff that would actually try to push people away because he's saying, whose heart is really mine? And in this church, we want disciples. We want people who follow after Jesus. Jesus says this in John 12, verse 26. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. And I want to, my story in being part of a local church is just saying yes. Someone along the line said, as long as you're here, just say yes. And uh, I I really encourage all of you because I feel like when you actually get into community and not just like, cool, I want to be part of the worship team, I want to be up front, and that's, are are you willing to help park cars in summer? Are you willing to, help with the toilets? Are you willing to be here early? Are you willing to be on uh, what is facilitators? Are you willing to stand at the back as a sound guy that no one praises you when it goes right and everyone scolds you when it goes wrong? Um, Or even the projector guy. You you always notice. You're like, "Ah, what is Nesh doing, man? Does he not know this song? And um, I'm just teasing. But can I say that serving God starts here. And uh, in in Galatians 6, this is my last thing I'm going to read. It says, let us... Okay, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, so it's everyone, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I've realized this, is that when we are serving with your gift, whatever God's put inside of you, you're serving Jesus directly because we are the body of Christ. And I think that's where it starts. We need the power of God to preach the gospel, but we need the power of God to be oaks of righteous th- righteousness that are here, week in, week out. There's many people I can call out, but Carl and Karis are machines. They come with their three kids. Come rain, come shine, come 58 degrees, and there's many more that just the ones I can remember right now. And um, they are here. They are serving. They are giving their life sets. They're building as themselves as oaks of righteousness that are stable and secure. Can we all pray together. You don't have to stand. I'm just going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you mold us and you change us. God, and I pray that just even as we sp- started speaking about the Holy Spirit, we just want to give you space this morning, God, just for just for you to come and move, Lord God, just, just to say, Holy Spirit, would you just come? And if you've never asked the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you, to be, to come and fill you with his presence the Bible speaks about, you can do that right now. It's not, we don't need uh, this hyped up moment. And it's just simply saying, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me? And maybe you have been, but you've had a really tough season and feels like you've leaked a little bit. Holy Spirit, would you just come and fill us this morning? God, I need your presence. I need your anointing. Your word says that the spirit of the Lord is on me.